Hi, you've tuned in to the Lovely Travels podcast where we talk about all things travel and adventure. My name is Emma Lovell, also known as Lovely, and I have a mission to visit every UN-recognised country in the world while raising awareness for mental health. Join me as we revisit some of my past adventures, speak to fellow travellers and interesting locals, all while following the journey to 195 countries. I'll be joined soon by my co-pilot, Darius, in Germany. And sometimes we're even going to hit the road together. Make sure to join in the adventure by following me on Instagram, Lovely Travels. You can also join our Facebook group, Lovely Travels Community, and learn more about us at the website, lovelytravels.com. But for now, it's listening time. Travel vicariously along with us. Hello and welcome everyone to the Lovely Travels podcast. Hi Emma, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, Today we have a very special episode. Uh, We are talking to Julie Jones, who is the founder of Have Wheelchair, Will Travel and the co-founder and editor of the Travel Without Limits magazine. Yes. So I met Julie through the Women in Tourism Australia Facebook group. Uh, So she was posting some information about uh, her publication and just sharing a bit of information about accessible travel and and about travel, travelling with a person with a disability. And as I have experience uh, with working with an organisation, well, volunteering with an organisation called Disabled Winter Sport Australia and having helped people Mm -hmm. to access sport and travel, uh, I was super interested and just thought, yeah, like I'd love to learn more and I definitely wanted to have her come on the podcast. And it's a pretty special day actually, um, well, week this week. We wanted to share this one this week because this Thursday, the 3rd of December, is International Day of Disabled Persons. So, recognizing that um, you know that there are different different sort of ways of living out there, and um, having a more accessible world would be really lovely for many many people. Yeah, I think it's it's great talking about it. it you know, it really opens your eyes that you know how good you have it, and you know how how tricky it can be, and how um, yeah, lots of great people just going about their lives. Uh, no matter the barriers. Yeah, and it's cool because so Julie worked in the travel industry for many years and when her son was born with a disability, her focus shifted to accessible and inclusive tourism. So she founded the website Mm. Have Wheelchair Will Travel and there she shares reviews uh, and then later co-founded Travel Without Limits magazine, which is Australia's first disability-specific travel publication. Mm Mm-hmm. So wow, definitely, super, super exciting. It is. It's it's really a beautiful magazine as well. Very um, like she wanted a glossy, like proper, lovely magazine that um, you'd see in the newsagent, and you know, just sharing different stories and stories that we might not have heard before, and reaching an audience of people who yeah want to have travel experiences and shouldn't be restricted. So. Follow along as well. Um, check Julie Jones' um, channels. She's got Instagram, Have Wheelchair, Will Travel, which I love that. <laughs> Facebook is the uh, same. You can look up Have Wheelchair, Will Travel. Uh, and then we've also got the wheel, uh, her websites, which are 
havewheelchairwheeltravel.net and travelwithoutlimits.com.au and we'll share all of these links um, in the show notes, of course. Of course we will. So maybe we should get to the listening bit. (laughs) I cannot wait. Awesome. Enjoy, everyone. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the Lovely Travels podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I was so excited. Um, we're both in a group called Women in Tourism Australia, and I've seen your wonderful posts about your magazine and website, Travel Without Limits, and so I really wanted to have a chat with you. Um, but it would be great to hear in your own words if you could just tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Well, I'm Julie. I used to work in the travel industry and my parents took me traveling when I was nine for six months when it wasn't really something that people were doing in those times. So my love for travel is very ingrained. And my son was born with a disability. We didn't know until he was five months of age, but once he was born with a disability, our plans for traveling with him as my parents had done with me went out the window. A wheelchair became our reality. And we were thrown into lots and lots of therapy for early intervention. And it just seemed like how would we ever travel? We weren't sure what we would do. And it was really took us some time to brave it. And then when we did, we realised how good it was for the whole family to do so. And I guess he also caught the travel bug around the same time. So he's non-verbal. He's a wheelchair user. And travel provides a real social outlet for him because what we tend to find is that people want to engage with him and interact with him but they're not actually sure but when you're traveling you're all experiencing the same thing so if you do a day trip say at Uluru and you're with other people you're all doing the same activity and therefore that gives them something when they see him enjoying it they can discuss that with him and so it's just really grown from there. Yeah, and I mean that's great as well. It's a leveler, isn't it? Because you know you're you're all having the same experience. It's just it doesn't really matter the fact that he's in a chair and, and they're standing. You're all seeing something new. Um, you can all have a reaction. You know, we don't always need words <laughs> to to experience something and to have a connection with someone. I also think people are just much more relaxed. I think that in general, even, you know, when I've travelled with my daughter to New York, we just found that we were much more likely to talk to a stranger than we are, say, on a Sydney train. Um, So that's one of the things about travel, I think, that's so wonderful is that it does open you up a little bit more. Yeah, having conversations. That's awesome. And so where do you live? So we live in Sydney. Awesome. Yes. And where are you from originally? Sydney. Okay. <laughs> I have I have a very boring backstory and I live one door down from the house that I used to live in and that I grew up in as a child. So my parents live in one house and we live in the other house, which has been very um, helpful given our circumstances. So uh, my dad has a more interesting story. He was born of an Italian and a Greek mother, oh, sorry, Italian father, Greek mother and born in Egypt. So Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely has an interesting backstory, but mine is very staid and boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's, I mean, but that's kind of unique now, isn't it? I mean, I think a lot of us don't grow up, in our, or we shift so far from our area and it's funny looking back to, I get a bit jealous sometimes of um, some people, they're like, oh, my heritage is um, Scottish or 
somewhere and you go back to my roots and things like that. But um, my family's English and they actually all still live kind of around where my great-great-great-grandparents sort of lived because that's the thing, you used to live in villages and yeah. sort of that region. And so it's cool because I can get access it really easily and I still go and visit, but my history is current. And yes. so I'm like, they're like, I'm going to return home. And I'm like, well, it's just a visit for me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of cool when you do, you go, oh, well, that's actually helpful to have a local history. Yeah. And also I just find that when I was at school, everyone went from kindergarten to high school and, you know, all together. And I've still got friends from kindergarten to high school who live in the same area as me. And it's really lovely to have that sense of community and um, stability, I guess it is. Yeah, beautiful. And then as well, it's not like you're not, you know, you say you've got a boring backstory, but you're very worldly. (laughs) You know, it's not like you stay, have stayed there. You've definitely gone further afield. That's definitely right, yes. Especially travelling with my my parents, travelling for six months, we just did everything. We went to Egypt, went to Scandinavia. We were sort of all over Europe for six months and it was just an amazing experience. How wonderful that you now get to do that with your your son and your daughter. And so tell me, how did the magazine start? So the magazine started, I guess, when we first, we won a trip to Disneyland back in 2011. And at the time it was a dream come true because we were doing therapy and life was very boring. Like it was just day in, day out therapy. And we won this trip to Disneyland, which was just amazing. And because my travel background researched everything, had a fabulous holiday, no hiccups, And it really opened my eyes to the fact that we could do long-haul trips and the kids would love it and the shared experiences were really bonding them as siblings, which was awesome. And came back and started a blog and the blog did really well and people were so desperate for the information we were providing that that sort of grew and grew and that then made me think, wouldn't it be great to see stuff in mainstream media? No, we never saw anything that we could relate to in the newspaper or magazines. So then started writing for some family travel publications. And that was great. But again, one story in an issue didn't seem enough. There were so many people with so many needs. And it just evolved. I was lucky enough that the person that I was writing for had a family travel magazine. And she was on board with doing Travel Without Limits magazine. And so now we have Australia's first disability specific travel magazine that is um, contributed to by people with lived experience because I'm really passionate about, you know, I know what it's like to travel with my son, but it's very different to somebody else travelling with their family member who is blind, hearing impaired, um, you know, has autism or is the wheelchair user themselves because we can obviously do a lot more because my son's younger, we've got the ability to lift him, to, you know, help him upstairs. So I think it's really important that people are telling stories that other people can read and relate to. Yeah, Anna, that's wonderful. And we're actually going to have another guest uh, for this episode who is himself a wheelchair user So because I felt the same Um, and obviously wonderful perspective but, you know, to have it from someone who as well is having that lived experience and you can can stand by that person and you can see them go through it but to actually – feel it yourself and to have to go through it and have to have those conversations all the time. It's a completely different story. So 
It is, and I've learned so much from just hearing um, on my blog the the readers are very, it's very much community spirit there and I just find that what they have taught me over the last six or seven years that I've had it has been amazing and I've just felt like they've really opened my eyes and that's because I'm listening to another perspective, I'm listening to a different, you know, family's experiences when they travel because everyone is very individual. It's just like the rest of the population has individual likes and needs and wants and it's it's no different for the disability community. Yeah, and you wrote something in the group the other day that I found very interesting. It was that there's this sort of perception that people with disabilities maybe wouldn't have the money to travel and that they're quite surprised um, because, and I know, you shared a few photos of like a helicopter and, and things like that. And so there's this, yeah, what what's that sort of attitude around oh you have a disability but you also have money well I think there's a perception that a sort of an old perception that everyone's on the disability support pension and there's certainly people who are but it's just like there are members of the rest of the population who are on Centrelink um but by the same token there's people who are working in quite high paid jobs and able to afford or they may have had a um an injury that has entitled them to compensation and part of that compensation is that they live the life that they would have lived previously. Um, so people do have money and spend it and I guess what I always say is people stay anywhere from a YHA, a youth hostel, to a luxury five-star resort. They, you know, it's just like everyone else. And something you pointed out as well is that sometimes it's not necessarily that you wanted to do the helicopter or that you wanted to do the, the private experience and, and that you were just being all flashy. It's just that actually that's the best suited to your son and your family. Yeah, so a great example of that is when we went to Kings Canyon. Um, my son was seven. My husband was still carrying him in a back carrier on his back and we could manage the base walk of Kings Canyon but there was no way we could do the rim walk so we went in a helicopter so he could still see it and we could still see it. And there's a there's sort of a knock-on effect. So if we say we can't do something, it doesn't just mean that my son misses out and my husband and I miss out. It also means that as a sibling, my daughter Amelia misses out as well. So we make decisions when we're away and we do do some high-end experiences for something like the Great Barrier Reef as well. There's no way my son can snorkel or dive. My daughter doesn't like boats very much, so she gets motion sick. So to go two hours out on a reef when he can't snorkel or dive and she gets motion sick doesn't make sense. It makes much more sense to actually do something like a helicopter um, trip. Yeah, no, it's something that you, yeah, we don't really think about and, um, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a different. It's just a different way of experiencing it. I, I went to the Grand Canyon recently, and ours was a time limitation. So yes. I, uh, I would have loved. I would love to go there. I'd love to. And you could just drive right up and, and have a look, and they've got some great viewing decks and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'd be interested to know how accessible it is on the ground. Um, I know that, if, but even we were hiring a car, and actually we couldn't drive certain places, so we were going to have to like stay in a mo- motel and then get another car and it was just a lot of hassle when we could actually go to Vegas (laughs) and get a helicopter which was like oh that sounds fun so you know sometimes horses for courses as well and and what's going to suit the trip that you're doing Mm. Um, and it's great that they you know they there's options 
That's right. And some days it's also a case of my son um, uses his manual wheelchair when we travel. So as far as pushing it goes, you might choose to have one easy day and then you might choose to have another day where you do actually put in a lot more effort. But, you know, somewhere like San Diego Zoo, for example, it's really hilly. Everything there's, you know, on a steep incline. And so we did use that to have an accessible bus that goes around. So we did use that for part of the day. But to save energy and to make sure, I guess, everyone had a good holiday, we did their backstage pass um, experience, which was expensive. But they brought some of the animals to us. We could interact with some of the animals and nobody missed out. And we sort of left the day refreshed because we hadn't sort of, you know, really pushed up a multitude of hills and things like that. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> to me. I sit here and you bring the animals to me. Exactly. <laughs> Five-star zoo. I love it. Um, see, I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, now uh, maybe I will do that. Have you guys done any travel in, like, locally or anything? Yeah, we have. We travelled back in June. And then we went, when my daughter finished her HSC trials, we went away again. So, yeah, we've sort of dabbled our toes very gingerly back into things. But my son's in the vulnerable category, so we're yeah. sort of super careful. And, I mean, even with us, my husband and I, I'm just conscious of the fact that if we got sick, we would look after him. Oh, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. So been, yes, exactly. But thank you so much for the opportunity. No, that's okay. I love your posts in Women in Tourism and, um, you know, just the education piece and I know that for me there's just things that I never thought about before before doing the work with disability, well, I mean volunteering with Disabled Winter Sport Australia, even things like going out for dinner and you call, you know, you call a plate and not to preach into the choir, you call and you ask, you know, is it disability friendly? And they say, yeah, wheelchair friendly, yes. And then you get there and there's a step, you know, or, or they have you sitting at the high table and you're like, like I've literally called you about this and, yes. I feel like if everyone was put into a wheelchair at some point in their life and had to navigate around it would be a very simple way. I mean, some people still wouldn't get it, but I feel that there'd be a little bit more empathy in society because people would have experienced how hard it can be. Oh, for sure. Even, um, you know, again, I, I used to work in comedy and they would say venues were disability friendly. I would invite a friend who's in a wheelchair and then the ramps at like a 45-degree angle yeah, um, she literally was like, she's like, I can do it, but like you're going to have to clear out the way. <laughs> Um, well, it's quite funny because my next post is actually about, you know, wheelchair friendly as being a term where it sort of means that there's no stairs, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's doable with a wheelchair because, as you say, if a ramp's so steep, somebody who's got to manually self-propel might find it just too hard. Yeah, and it's that thing of then, you know, you want to offer help, um, but, you know, it's it's got to be led by the person and... Um, you know, walking through the streets of Melbourne with a friend in a busy night and I've absolutely said to her, you know, it's a hard work because you're going up, down, up, down, all, all the um, streets and the curbs. And I just said, look, I'm going to throw it out there. If you if you do need me to help at all, I'm here. She's super capable. But, you know, it's like this is hard work. So. I always appreciate being asked, though, when I'm out with my son. I will often say, no, no, thanks, we're good. 
but I really appreciate you asking because I don't want people not to then ask the next person that might actually really want the help or need the help. But I know it's a touchy subject. Some people don't like to be asked if they want help at all. Um, but I don't know. I think we're too harsh on everyone in society. I honestly do. I think there's there should be a little bit more grey, a lot less black and white. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. That's, you know, because some people just have not been exposed to it and it's not up to the person with a disability or up to the carer to necessarily educate. But, you know, you, you can have that grace for somebody who's literally never encountered somebody with that and, and, and they range, don't they, so much because someone might be in a wheelchair but they might be um, able to walk. Um, and actually I'm interviewing another gentleman tonight who's a wheelchair user um, but right. he has the ability to walk. So right. sometimes people, he has the, the challenge of people see him walking and know that he can, but, you know, there's a limitation there too. And so then... I always think of somebody who's had an, um, an injury or just been diagnosed and they're just getting used to using a wheelchair and I think it must be such a struggle to get used to that. And if somebody offered you a hand, it could be just that difference between making a day or having such a bad day. So, yeah, I think it's really hard. If I see a little old lady who's short and she can't reach the top shelf, I have no hesitation in saying, would you like me to help you? So I don't see that it's that different, to be honest. Yes, absolutely. Unless you're being condescending, obviously. I know I won't say you're too short. I'll just say, would you like to get me to get that because I always put things so far back on the top shelf. You know, it's just the way you word things too. Absolutely. But help with that education around this is great. Uh, What's your sort of, I guess, the mission behind, um, obviously there's some awareness, but is there sort of a a bigger mission with the and it's an online magazine or it's physical as well it's a print magazine um which is really glossy and lovely and everything that I wanted it to be I wanted it to be as luxurious as any other magazine and that's something myself and my co-founder believed in that it should be as good and uh then we have also a website where people can get other information and we also put up past issues of the magazine on the website so people can have a little look there but the mission really is it's twofold I guess one is that people with a disability can be inspired informed and have that information within a magazine format and I think by people sharing their stories they're informing the tourism industry that people with disability can do experiences like in the current issue of the magazine we've got somebody who climbed Kilimanjaro and she's a wheelchair user Um, she did an adapted experience which was pretty awesome We've got another guy in New Zealand who has got a business where he goes around and actually makes experiences inclusive. So it might be something like whitewater rafting. He's paraplegic. He um, became paraplegic after a canyoning accident in Switzerland. So he was always an adventure seeker, continues to be an adventure seeker. Um, but he's found ways to work with businesses in New Zealand to make them inclusive. So he educates them. And I think that's what we're trying to do, really show the tourism industry, hey, there's this group of people that are really prepared to put in the hard yards to travel themselves. They want the information and they've got the um, money to come and spend. So hopefully it, yeah, really opens the world's eyes to what people are doing and what they want to do. And we have, 
you know, obviously you have, like the rest of the population, some are adventure seekers and someone would sit on a veranda in an accessible apartment with a lovely view and just, you know, chill. And that's okay. It's, you know, as you said, everyone has different ways of travelling and desires. Yeah, absolutely. And it was an eye-opener for me. I So I started volunteering with Disabled Winter Sport Australia in 2013 and just, I mean, the broad range of disabilities was one thing, um, but also one of my favourite camps actually was um, people who had spinal injuries, so from uh, Royal Talbot Centre. I myself had a spinal injury. I broke my back. And so nice. It was, and it was nine years. It was like the anniversary. I get a little tingle saying that because it was, yeah. you know, and there was, um, there's another gentleman who's very involved with DWA and we essentially landed the same way. So we, um, he came off a motorbike, landed sitting up, um, and he is now a wheelchair user. I landed sitting up snowboarding <laughs> and broke two vertebrae, but I'm completely recovered. So oh. just, you know, you were millimetres, less than millimetres away from a completely different life. And what was so beautiful is, like, the guy that I was partnered with that weekend had been a BMX user, had had a BMX accident. So he was, was a thrill seeker, right? And he's now a quadriplegic. But he was out there in a sit ski, being able to experience snow, being able to have that adrenaline rush. And it was that equaliser. We were all on the snow. But even some of us who were able-bodied, we were on skis or snowboards, you know, we're still we're on different devices anyway. So it doesn't matter what device you are, you're still getting down the hill. Mm. And then at dinner was really awesome because we're all sitting around and we're all sitting and chatting and intellectually all the same. Just some of us were sitting on a wheelchair and some of us were sitting on a chair. And it just, for me, it was so lovely that it was like, had my life changed, had that been the different route? There's just such a, there's a world that was still open. Um, and, yeah, all it was just such a really beautiful camp and, and seeing uh, how, you know, Australia's getting better, but then I've been over to, like, the US and they are just incredible. Um, every single ski field has adaptability, um, adaptable, adaptable. Adapted programs, <laughs> yeah. programs, every single one, and it's due to a lot of their veterans. Um, but it's beautiful. We're sitting there and, and just see all these people coming down and, and it's just kind of normal. Yeah. Um, ramps everywhere. There's, it's just people, I, I don't know about your experience, but people have said the US is actually quite, can be quite a good place to travel. Well, I think it's a great place to travel because of the ADA, um, which is the Americans with Disability Act has meant that even old buildings have had to adapt. And so we found that the ADA had also brought around an attitude change, not everyone obviously, but we found that people had just run to get the keys to the lift so we could get from, you know, the foyer to the next level, which was, you know, an adaptive lift. So we thought the US was really good. I know some people say not so much and some of my US readers look at things that are happening in Australia and say, I wish we had those here. But even in the US they have um, electric or power wheelchairs for beaches. We have beach wheelchairs here but we don't have the power ones unless you're staying at sort of a specialty resort here in Sydney. There's, they have one. But, you know, that's awesome to have that because not everyone wants to be pushed. If they're an independent wheelchair user who generally wheels themselves, they don't want to be pushed. So it's just 
it's changing definitely since my son, he's 25 now, was little, things have improved out of sight. But we just need to push along a little bit quicker, I think. And the independence thing was is a big thing and um, we talked about it a little bit before, but, you know, when you're seeing someone out and about um, who, you know, and wheelchair tends to be the more obvious because you can see it very visually, but if you identify that somebody has a disability, just um, it can be challenging to know whether to offer help or, or what they need. But I think you had a, a great perspective on that and, um, I, yeah, I learned to ask and to ask in a kind way and to ask what they needed as opposed to run and, and start pushing the chair or, or run and grab something in, in front of them or, you know, but it, you know, would you like a hand or, you know? Yeah, I always appreciate, I really appreciate it if people ask because I think that means that they're considerate. Um, I will often say, oh, no, we're all good, thanks, but thanks so much for asking because I really don't want them to then not ask the next person. I don't want them to get a bad reaction or feel that they can't offer help to the next person. And I would always offer assistance to, an, you know, an older person or a shorter person in a supermarket. I wouldn't say you're too short to get the grocery off the top shelf, but I would certainly say, oh, they put them up so high. Would you like a hand? I could get it down for you. So I don't really see that it's that different unless it's being done in a condescending way. And then obviously there is a lot around delivery and how you speak to people with disability. And I think it's important to what we tend to find is sometimes people will speak to us as a carer rather than speaking to our son or as a parent, uh, and that's very common for people to do that, even mm. to an adult who is verbal. If they're there with their wife or partner, they'll often refer to the to the person with them rather than to the person with a disability, and I think that's a big mistake. Yeah, address the person that you're talking to, and if, if the case is that they were nonverbal, you can be informed of that, but... You know, but even if you can still say hello and address it to the person, um, you know, also do, I hope you have a great day and address it to the person, uh, even though they may not be able to respond. Um, yeah, and sometimes they respond in a nonverbal way anyway, my son. <laughs> I'm sure he thinks the lady at Big W is there just to greet him. He loves nothing <laughs> more than people interacting with him and, you know, saying hello or, you know, he has a he has a Superman wheelchair so he's got um a, a airbrush design of superman on his armrest oh. and we did that on purpose because his previous wheelchair had batman uh wheel guards and we we didn't ask for them they just came that way and we're sort of army and army about whether to take them off and then what we found when we were in america traveling was people were looking for a way to speak to him but weren't sure how to engage with him and he'd get people saying Cool wheels, mate. Oh, I love Batman. And little kids would be sort of saying to him, look at those bat wheels and things like that. And that was really lovely for him. So then when we got upgraded wheelchairs, we were like, well, what do we do? He loves Superman. So we got Superman arm guard and we find that people will comment on that and he just loves it. And although he's nonverbal, he'll smile or he'll reach out to them for a, well, in the old days before Corona, a high five. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that's just a way of engaging with him, which I think is lovely. That's awesome. And so have you, I mean, I know we don't want to badmouth any place, but has there been any country that you've travelled to or a place that was particularly difficult? I would say Fiji was physically difficult, but they had the most inclusive attitude that meant that 
there was no problem. He probably experienced, my son probably experienced more in Fiji than he has in other countries that are sort of very good physically um, accessible. So that would be probably, that would probably be as far as access-wise one of the most difficult that we have experienced. When I was travelling solo, I had an experience in China, which I found quite devastating. I was on a cruise by myself and we arrived at a, a a sort of um what do you call it dock I guess and walked up and somebody had placed somebody of their child with a disability who couldn't walk and was non-verbal in the hot sun and it was so hot in China and they were begging and that made me very very sad I mean access was also difficult but just to see that was incredibly sad but as far as everything else I think we research it so much that we tend to have really good experiences and we're able to, you know, bump our son's wheelchair up some stairs if we really want to do an experience. We try not to do that, I guess, as we get older and he gets heavier. Yes. But we will do that if we need to. But we honestly, I know people often talk about the sort of most shocking experiences, but we honestly haven't had one that touch wood <laughs> that's been really, you know, noteworthy. That's um, well, that's really positive to hear and, and really encouraging. I know someone who went to China, actually she's well-known, um, Turia Pitt went there. Yes. She physically looks, can, has something on her that is um, different. Yes. Uh, her skin was burnt and um, she found it very confronting there because um, in, I think sometimes it's just the difference, but I found it's in the China do look. It's a cultural difference because, um, you know, Brayden's non-verbal, so he will make sounds. So if we go to a destination where there are groups of people from countries where people with a disability are hidden away, it's seen as a shameful thing to have somebody with disability. We find that the staring is just unparalleled and the fear in the people is really quite shocking. Um, but I guess it's a cultural thing they're just not aware and as I said that it's seen as a shameful thing for the family to have somebody with a disability they just don't understand yeah yeah and that's yes that's a different experience where you're like I can actually I might be able to get around but um it might be uncomfortable uh to be in that place because of the lack of understanding um Mm. well I think we would choose not to travel somewhere where we felt that that was going to be the case to be honest because I think it would be so disturbing to see the person that I love so much in the world being treated that way. It's already disturbing if I see somebody either not wanting to do their best by him or, you know, staring or, you know, sometimes you'll get children staring and it's really, that's okay for children to stare because they, they're trying to understand, they're trying to compute. You'll see even the youngest of babies noticing a difference. But it's the parent's reaction that determines whether it turns into a learning curve or whether it turns into an uncomfortable situation. And I usually try and engage the children and say, yep. hi, how are you? You know, he's, he's you know, excited because we're all going to, you know, wherever it is to explain it. And then sometimes you'll see the parents going, yeah, he's excited like you are. Or, you know, you'll get the parents sort of saying, don't look, don't look type thing. So, you know, those experiences. So definitely we wouldn't be travelling somewhere where we felt that we wouldn't have a good experience. 
Yeah, definitely. And so um, where would you say has been the best place for your family that you've travelled? Oh, such a hard pick. We've had amazing, <laughs> amazing time in New Zealand. We've had amazing time in Fiji just because of the inclusive attitude. I think Braden just loved the Fijian people. He felt like he, I'm sure he felt he found his village because oh. <laughs> everyone was hugging him and high-fiving him and they just went out of their way and nothing was bothered for him. Um, in, in, in New Zealand he had some amazing sort of adrenaline type experiences which he really enjoyed and the US, well, Disneyland can't really go past, you know, that kind of an experience and also, oh, as yeah. I said, the ADA <laughs> has made it quite easy to get around. So even New York which I know a lot of locals say New York's not great and obviously the subway only has a certain number of stops that's successful, but we had a fantastic experience in New York. So I'm so glad. I can't pick one. <laughs> I know. I know it's the worst I, for any traveller. It's, it's just, I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm like, I know some people give me their top three, <laughs> but I'm like, just try. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about Australia though? How do you find, you know, I know that you, you were saying Uluru before and how do you find travel in Australia? We have really lovely experiences in Australia. We've been to Cairns several times and found that really accessible and a lot of the experiences up there are accessible. We found Uluru. Uh, we stayed there longer just so we could do more, but you can do the base walk of Uluru. You can do a helicopter flight over um, the two sites in the Catechican National Park, which was great. So we really enjoy it. I still think there's a long way to go in Australia. I think the information is very hard to find often, um, really requires a lot of phoning up. It's just not obvious on a website. The other day I went to some website, something I was researching for a story I was writing and it had the accessibility tab on the front page and I was like, oh, big tick. That's fantastic to see it so upfront. Yeah. I was going to say, is it quite exhausting? Like, you know, for somebody planning a trip might be like excited. There's, I'm sure there's elements that are exciting, but there's also you would have to check every single thing. Uh, is it quite tiring? It is really exhausting. And, you know, it's just a case of ringing around and asking the questions and really delving deep into the questions. So when they say it's wheelchair friendly, really making sure that it is actually, you know, wheelchair accessible, not just friendly, which is such a vague term. Um, And, you know, we went once to Cairns and I was just pulling my hair out to try and find the accommodation that we really wanted there because as a family, a lot of accessible accommodation is just one room and it, you know, great for a couple, but for a family who have a son who's nocturnal and tends to wake up at one o'clock in the morning, we need space and we need two bedrooms. And that's really tricky to find in something that's accessible. But I finally narrowed it down to a property. And as they said, they had a lift and I was so excited. And then when I said, so there's no stairs and she said, oh, there's about 10 stairs up to the lift, which then obviously wiped it off my list and it was back to the starting point. So it's not easy. But even when we went to the US, they rang every single hotel and asked. I didn't just ring their central number for Hilton. I actually rang the different properties and made sure that we were going to be able to um, manage the hotel. So it is exhausting and I think a lot of places could avoid that by putting the information on their website and photos on the website. But it's just not commonplace here yet. Yeah, for sure. And even airlines, you know, I know a friend had a run-in with like 
major airlines, uh, you know, not understanding or where they were going to store the chair or going through the check-in process and you're like, come on, you guys, surely you have people coming frequently, um, but, you know, how do you, how do you find the airlines? Well, we used to have to explain everything to them that we needed Brendan's chair right up to the door of the aircraft and then they could take it down and we had to go through all that. And it was a real sort of, oh, we're not sure about that. We really need to take it from, you know, check-in. Whereas now we find that everyone's pretty au fait with that process, which is great. Definitely uh, people who have power wheelchairs have a lot of troubles with some of the discount airlines wanting them to leave their chairs and people just can't sit in any chair. You know, the airline chairs that they provide don't provide any support. So they're fine for somebody who can't walk a long distance, but they're not fine for somebody who needs postural support and sort of belts and things to keep them sitting upright. So that's really tricky We've always had good experiences, but I communicate a lot with the airline prior to actually booking. And then once we have booked, make sure they have lots of information. So I think that helps. But it is, you sort of, you just never know. I mean, the biggest thing that bothers me is that the airlines still, in 2020, most of them, particularly domestically, don't have an accessible bathroom on a flight. And I think. That is mind-blowing to think that everything is changing and evolving and we still don't have bathrooms that people can use if they need support in the bathroom as in another person going in with them to assist them or if they need a chair to get to the bathroom, the fact that some flights don't have a chair on the on the aircraft, that I find. And also a lot of the sightseeing boats, you know, that do harbour cruises, you can only stay downstairs at the back with motor running to see the view. You can't stay on the top deck or, you know, there might not be a bathroom on board that people can use. And it just, yeah, it's it's a bit shocking that those sorts of things aren't changing. Yeah, especially when they're building them now and, and on an airline, you know, they can put a bar in, in a plane and they can put a capsule <laughs> in a plane that you can sleep in in a, this fancy pants chair but you can't make a toilet double the size. <laughs> That's right. We seem to go for high end rather than functional and we sort of we need a bit of both, but functional I think, you know, it's basic human right to be able to use bathrooms. Absolutely. But I know people starve themselves, they don't drink on a flight, you know, even on longer haul flights, they're doing all of that because of the fear of needing to use the bathroom and not being able to. Yeah. And are there any um like just I guess some real basic tips in terms of language. Um, I know we've used some language on this. Uh, I know some people don't like the term able-bodied. Um, uh, so are there any, like, language tips? I think it's hard, isn't it? It's so, it's so broad. But in how I think, Yeah, I think it's really tricky because everyone has a preference. So for me, I much prefer my son to be recognised as a person first. So I would always say he's a person with a disability rather than a disabled person. If I was a tourism operator, I would always have an accessibility tab rather than disabled access, for example, because I think that's more positive language. One of my readers once said, I don't like the term special needs because my needs are just needs. And I thought that was very relevant as well. But you will find within the disability community, people have different opinions on that. And um, a lot of people will still refer to their children as children with special needs. Um, so it's a real minefield. And I do feel it's difficult for people to get it right. My absolute pet peeve, though, is wheelchair bound. 
because mm-hmm. nobody's actually wheelchair bound. Everyone, even if they require a voice, gets out of their wheelchair at some point to go to bed or to go to the bathroom or, you know, sit in a chair, another chair other than their wheelchair. So I always prefer wheelchair user. I always refer yes. to my son as a person with a disability who's a wheelchair user. Yes. Um, but you will find that it is tricky to to get it right because some people do prefer to say that they're a disabled person. Yeah, I, th- I like though the person led, and if you know, if in doubt, people with a, a person with a disability is you know because they are a person who happens to have a disability. That's um, right. That's you know, I think someone was telling me that like instead of doing able-bodied and and person with a disability, they were sort of they went the other way and they were saying a person without a disability. <laughs> so they were, like, right. they were like they were like oh no, I'm I'm this. You're the different. I'm <laughs> you're without. Yeah. Take own it. That's yeah. You can you, you know you're talking about it. So uh, no, but I'm. I think it's wonderful. The the publication is brilliant. I love that you said it's glossy and it's high end and um, it's a magazine and uh, with a for an audience that really needed it. So um, bravo to you. Um, I love your family spirit and I love your posts. I love seeing it. Really makes me think. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. Oh, thank you so much. It's really lovely to have people that are open to learning. I think that's one of the things that if we're all open to learning and as I said to you at some point, I think if everyone got into a wheelchair for a little while or, you know, um, couldn't was nonverbal, had their, I always think if I could somehow get people to just put a little tape across their mouth and just experience what it's like once I lost my voice and just trying to get the message across was so exhausting that it really made me think twice about how hard my son works to do everything. And that's the other thing. I just think people with a disability want to do all these things, so I think as a society we should make it as easy as possible for them to do so. Absolutely. What a great way to end. Thank you so much for your time, Julie, and we'll put all of your links so that everybody can and can see everything in the show notes. But thank you so much for your time and, and please say hi to your son and your family for me. Thank you. I will do. Okay. That was a very inspirational talk uh, between you guys. I learned so much. Um, Tell me, how can I find out even more about Have Wheelchair, Will Travel, about Julie? Um, lay it on me. Absolutely. So we have, we can find Julie at, on Instagram, Have Wheelchair, Will Travel. On Facebook, there's the Have Wheelchair, Will Travel Facebook page, as well as uh, travel, uh, facebook.com slash travel with special needs. Uh, and then websites are havewheelchairwilltravel.net and travelwithoutlimits.com.au. And just a reminder that uh, coming up on Thursday this week, the 3rd of December, it's the International Day of People with Disabilities. So just, again, a day to recognise how we can make the world a bit more accessible. Yeah. Um, everyone think about one way you could make the world a little bit more accessible on that day. Um, who knows what good ideas we'll come up with. Let us know on, on the Facebook group. And how can people find us, Darius? Oh, well, it's a similar sort of situation. You go to your browser, you type in a lovely travels podcast and you'll be, you'll be, uh, hit with a, a barrage of, of wonderful links, uh, to our website, the, 
lovelytravels.com or the Instagram page at lovelytravels, um, Facebook group, um, Lovely Travels group, the Facebook page, Lovely Travels, and the blog, um, lovelytravels.com slash blog. <laughs> I think we don't need to and the email. every page of the and website. The <laughs> There's an email, info at lovelytravels.com. Uh, yeah. Just remember that Lovely Travels has a double L. Um, and uh, let me know, or let us know, how you found us, which, which avenue of communication you choose. And if in doubt, look at the show notes. And we'll see you next week, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.